A lot of very famous actors of the time appeared here. Sarah Siddons, Joseph Grimaldi, Charles Dickens. Join us for another episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects, Stories from Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts and I'm the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're looking at 100 objects from Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area to celebrate a century of our museums and to find out more about the past and how we relate to it now. Today's object is a photograph that takes us onto the stage and beyond, into one of England's oldest theatres and into a story of famous faces, financial ups and downs and even fires. Today's object is a photograph of the staff sitting outside the Grand Theatre. The photograph is actually a postcard, although it's not been used. It's 14cm by 9cm and shows three rows of people sat outside a building. The back two rows are standing, while the front row are sitting down. The group consists mainly of men and boys dressed in dark suits and ties. The four women are in high neck dresses. In front of them all sits a small dog. The people are somewhat squeezed onto the narrow pavement outside the building, and above them can be seen a fine canopy which reads Grand Theatre. Although we aren't sure exactly who each person is, or when this photograph was taken, there are clues from the theatre's history that can tell us that these are the theatre staff in the early years of the 20th century. We spoke to Adrian Taylor, the secretary and a trustee of the Grand Theatre, and someone who provides regular tours of the building to find out more about this icon of the Lancaster entertainment scene. He started by telling us about the origins of the theatre and some of the actors and performers who have appeared there. Well, it opened in 1782. It wasn't called the Grand, it was just called the Theatre. And it was opened by two gentlemen, Mr Austin and Mr Whitlock. They were the managers of what was called the Newcastle Circuit, because the end of the 18th century was a big boom time for theatres, although most of those have since disappeared. Whitlock is particularly interesting because he married into the Kemble family, which was a very prominent theatrical family. John Kemble was an actor-manager. He was manager of Theatre Royal Drury Lane and then Covent Garden. He had two sisters, Elizabeth, who Whitlock married, and Sarah, who married a chap called Siddons, and became Sarah Siddons, who was the A-list actress of her day, the equivalent of Helen Mirren or Judi Dench nowadays. And so, because of this connection, it did mean that a lot of very famous actors of the time appeared here. Sarah Siddons obviously appeared multiple times because she was family. One of her most famous roles was as Lady M in the Scottish play, which I, since we're in the theatre, I'm not allowed to mention the name. Edmund Keane came, he did Shylock, Joseph Grimaldi, he was the original clown, and he was incredibly popular. For a two-night stay, he would charge the equivalent in today's money of £10,000. So that's a lot of money. There was a character called Master Betty, who was a 13-year-old from Belfast. He was extremely popular for about a year. I guess people thought he was rather cute, but it became fairly obvious that he actually wasn't a very good actor. His fame waned. Um, and then there was Ira Aldridge, Again, in this time, the early 19th century, he was very interesting because he was a black American actor and he was an extraordinarily powerful actor. He had an incredible memory. There's a record, for example, of him doing six different plays in one week and the management saying, this has gone extremely well. Can you do any more for us? And he said, OK, I'll do another three. 
which I think he thought remembered all that lot. And also he was a very powerful actor in that he was very convincing, because in those days acting was a bit more declamation rather than realistic acting. And he was so realistic that when he did Othello, it looked like he was actually killing Desdemona. The audience would get very agitated. But he was very, very popular and um, travelled through Europe and uh, eventually got a state funeral in Poland, I think. So that's the people on the stage. But what about those behind the scenes? Adrian told us a bit about some of the owners of the theatre. It has gone through a lot of hands and name changes too. It was the theatre originally. It then became the Theatre Royal. The then Duke of Gloucester apparently came for one performance as a member of the audience and the management thought, oh, right, we can, uh, we can change ourselves to the Theatre Royal. It appeared they didn't ask anybody, but anyway, they got away with it. In the 1830s, the local temperance society took the theatre over, which sounds a bit strange, but in fact, the temperance societies had a habit not just of giving you a lecture on the, the evils of the demon drink, but also providing what they called wholesome entertainment to draw the crowds in. Then, 1849, the theatre was bought by Edmund Sharp. Now, he's an interesting character. Mayor of Lancaster, architect, railway engineer. He worked on the Lancaster to Carlisle Railway, which is now the West Coast Main Line, and also the original line to Morecambe, which went across Greyhound Bridge. His interest was classical music, and he renamed the theatre the Music Hall. Charles Halley, who started the Halley Orchestra, he came, for example. But obviously he had a lot of irons in the fire and eventually he passed the theatre on to the Athenium Company who wanted to use this as a museum and lecture hall. And among the people who came to lecture was Charles Dickens. That was in the 1860s. He came with his friend Wilkie Collins and they stayed at the King's Arms Hotel and Charles Dickens would do readings. But the theatre started to get, well, not for the first time, in, in a fairly dire financial state under the Athenium Company. So by the mid-19th century, the theatre had passed through numerous hands and found itself in dire straits. Adrian told us how it managed to revive and become more successful than ever, that is, until disaster struck. The theatre was in a fairly dire financial state, and in fact by 1882 it was declared an unsafe building and closed. And then up steps Mr Henry Wilkinson, who we think appears in the photograph, Henry Wilkinson is interesting. He was the publican of the Black Cat pub at 95 St. Leonard Gate, so more or less where the lower St. Leonard Gate car park is now. And he bought the theatre, presumably for not very much money, and made some repairs, engaged travelling theatre companies, and it got going again as a business. And this continued successfully for about a dozen years, to the point where he had enough money in the bank to invite Mr. Frank Matcham to do some work on the theatre. Now, Frank Matcham is probably the foremost theatrical architect in the country. If you've been, for example, to the Blackpool Grand or the Blackpool Tower Ballroom, those are both his work. He did about 80-odd theatres around the country, and he didn't do a complete job. He rebuilt the stage and put on the fly tower, which meant that you could do much more in the way of a realistic production with scenery and so on. Rather than have a different play every night, you would have a company come in and do particularly a Victorian melodrama, which would be very popular, and that would run for a number of days and would have full scenery and everything. And then there were pantomimes, of course, which were always very popular. And that brings us to a disaster in 1908, February the 1st. It was Babes in the Wood. It was a Saturday, so it was a matinee and an evening performance. After the matinee, the audience have gone home. The actors are all downstairs in the dressing rooms and fire breaks out. 
There are talk in the local papers of actors in distress out in St. Leonard Gate. The roof came in and although the walls were still standing, the, the interior of the theatre was completely wrecked. But the theatre managed to rise from the ashes once again and continue on, this time as the Grand Theatre. Sadly, we don't know exactly who is shown in our photograph, but we know that it must come from around this time or slightly after, as we can see the new canopy above the theatre staff sporting the name Grand. We also believe that the gentleman in the front row, the second seated figure from the right, is Henry Wilkinson. Adrian told us how Wilkinson revived the theatre after the 1908 fire. So, what to do? The theatre was insured, but only for the sum of £4,000. Now, what could you do in those days with £4,000? You couldn't get Frank Matcham back, because we know that Frank Matcham charged £20,000 for the Blackpool Grand, so there's not a lot he would do for four. Luckily, Henry finds uh, a young architect, Albert Winstanley, who'd done one other theatre, which I think was the Lyceum in Crewe, and, to be honest, for £4,000, he performs a miracle because February the 1st was the fire. By May, Henry Wilkinson and Wynne Stanley are in front of the Watch Committee of the City Council, getting plans approved. 14th of September, the same year, the theatre is completely rebuilt inside, and they put on a performance of Raffles, the story of the gentleman thief. In fact, I've got a thing here from the local paper. It is less than eight months since the Athenaeum was destroyed. Today there stands in its place a handsome new building, moulded on the most modern principles and as cosy a place as mortal being could possibly wish to step into. Phoenix light, it has risen from the ashes of the old, and that the grand, as it was now called, may have lengthy and famous a history as the Athenaeum is the ardent wish of all. The thanks of the theatre-going people of the district are due to Mr Wilkinson for his enterprise and pluck. If he does not get the support which he deserves, then Lancaster people must be written down as sadly lacking in qualities of appreciation. Henry Wilkinson continued owning the theatre and basically choosing the programming. He had a manager called Stanley Rogers, who he eventually sold it to in, I think, 1919. And then the theatre went through a variety of ups and downs. Stanley Rogers ran it for a while, but then it got bought by a series of cinema companies. It was also used by the local amateur companies. Lados, for example, was started in the 1890s. And... It was used for bingo, it was used for cinema, as I mentioned. The university, I think, used it for a lecture theatre for a while. But 1951, ABC Cinemas, who had another bigger cinema in the city, said, this isn't making us any money. And Footlights and a number of the other amateur groups got together to see if they could raise the money. ABC Cinemas eventually ran out of patience and said, right, you've got 48 hours, money on the table, or the whole thing is off, we'll knock it down, redevelop. Footlights got £7,000 together, bought it, and so Footlights have run it ever since. We asked Adrian to tell us some of his favourite stories from the history of the Grand. Well, people always like to hear about ghosts, because all theatres appear to have a ghost. In our case, it's supposedly Sarah Siddons. One day, an elderly lady came in to see our theatre manager. She said that as a young girl, she'd been a cleaner with the ABC cinema. And one day she had bumped into this strange lady in very, very old-fashioned dress and it frightened the life out of her. So Ellie said, well, come with me, come and have a look. 
and took her onto the circle where we have a black and white print of Sarah Siddons. And this lady said, yes, that was her. There is also an apparition which apparently comes down the centre aisle of the stalls. And the interesting thing there is its feet are about six feet above the ground. You then realise that that must date from before Winstanley remodelled the inside of the theatre because he actually lowered the, the floor level of the stalls. So how does the theatre run now and what does the future hold for it? We are what I call a commercial community theatre. We do two things, essentially. One is what we call the commercial let. So this will be visiting acts. It could be musicians like Lulu, who came the other week, comedians. and I think virtually every comedian in the country seems to have come here at some stage. It can be people like Angus and Tuffers who come and spend an evening of doing reminiscences. And these commercial events buy the bread and butter for the theatre. So that means we can then stage our own productions as footlights and also rent out the theatre to other amateur groups at a realistic rate. The future is a new foyer on the side of the building where there's a small car park at the moment. There will be a new bar, a new box office, a studio theatre and rehearsal space. Just before we finished, we quizzed Adrian about a letter to the theatre management, which is now held in Lancashire Archives. It was sent on the 23rd of February, 1876, and shows that perhaps not all Victorian Lancastrians were enamoured by the theatre. No, people haven't always been 100% in favour of the theatre. Uh, there's a very interesting letter from a gentleman, Mr Thomas Ball, a shipbreaker, who had a business on St George's Quay, and he lived opposite. And he said, The annoyance that I and my neighbours have been subjected to during the last nine and ten months has been exceeding the whole of the years last named, I feel quite sure that the respectability of the music hall, as it was called then, is being rapidly diminished. He complains about the noise, clogs on the stairs, disgusting language used by theatre-goers. He asked the company to devise ways to keep out the rabble and complains about the sixpenny theatrical lights that have crowded the street with a low class of persons who spat in the street, sat on windowsills, emptied the contents of their pipes into the street and abused police officers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. Why not get front row seats for some of our other episodes where we put the spotlight on everything from cartography to canals? 